I'm just here to entertain you, man. Combo Nation! Let's get into it. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 338 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combo's Court. Today's show, Phil White, co-author of The Leader's Mind, Game Changer, Unplugged, and more joins in to talk stoicism, Steve Kerr's leadership, technology, and much more. A fantastic conversation with Phil. You can find Phil on Instagram at Phil White Books. That's P H I L W H I T E B O O K S. You know, you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's Oni T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's. Get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Phil White, co-author of The Leader's Mind, Game Changers, Unplugged, and many more. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today, Phil? Very well, thank you. It's a rare day without uh, me doing an interview with uh, with my co-author, Jim Aframo, or, or with uh, my basketball strong co-host, Tim Francesco. So yeah, you caught me on a good day, mate. That's the crazy thing, because obviously we're a basketball-centric podcast, but I didn't originally bring you here to talk basketball, and then I find <laughs> out after you have a basketball podcast, which is really interesting. I actually just read The Leader's Mind, so I brought you on to talk about leadership. But another yeah. thing is, is that basketball actually brought you to this country. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so um, so my coach, Rocky Lamar, just passed eight, just hit 800 wins this past weekend. So he's, I think, eighth um, among all active coaches at every level and uh, won a national championship. I think that the... The, uh, Dan Fleming, who was my freshman team coach, my uh, my first year of college, broke Scottie Pippen's scoring record in the NAIA tournament, and they really should have won two or three championships with that team, but missed the last second. He didn't miss the last second three. A teammate missed the last second three um, a couple of years before I came over in 2001, and uh, and yeah, they they had several opportunities to to go further, but uh, yeah, managed to get it done with a with a team that was pretty underrated going in probably four or five years later. But yeah, so um, I played at Mid-American Nazarene um, University in, in Kansas, suburban Kansas City. Very interesting. You call you co-authored so many books. Unplugged. I actually had Dr. Andy on the show before. So that's oh, nice. Pretty I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, Andy is um, just uniquely himself at all times and a guy that's really, really struggled and strived to get where he is and uh, – yeah, just one of the most genuine, big-hearted people I know. So that that that's great that you had him on. Most definitely. It was a great episode. So staying on the leader's mind right now, uh, my two favorite chapters was, I think you could guess one of them, but one of them was Stoicism. The Stoicism cha- right. chapter was great. And obviously Steve Kerr. I mean, Steve Kerr is so interested because he had like this perfect storm of leadership in his life. And probably some of that caused him to be a great leader, right? Yeah, I mean, if you have Luke Olson as as your your college coach, and then 
you know, you go Phil Jackson and then Greg Popovich. And then even in the broadcast booth, you know, a lot of people don't know that Jeff Van Gundy was really instrumental in grooming him and mentoring him. And then he advised Steve to, to get some help in compiling video clips. And so um, there's a high school coach whose name escapes me. You'll probably remember better from the chapter than I did when Jim and I wrote it. But this high school coach that Steve is really good friends with in California that started really just taking over this compiling of a almost a video dossier on NBA sets and plays and styles. And then Steve was taking handwritten notes next to Van Gundy in the broadcast booth on just about everything you can imagine. And so, yeah, all of these stupid predictions made by everyone from ESPN uh, talking heads down of, oh, I can't believe they gave this rookie head coach with no experience all this money. This is going to be the biggest coaching bust in NBA history. Well, how did that work out for you? Yeah, I mean, he set the trend. I think, you know, Nash kid, they kind of had, you know, the straight from player to head coach. But I mean, Steve Kerr was in front offices before, so it wasn't really, yeah. you know, straight to coaching. And obviously his time right. in the media, he showed he could communicate real well. And we know who he played for. He played for Pop. He played for Phil Jackson. And obviously he played for Lute. But during the during the writing of the book, what did you learn about leadership? Yeah, so I think, um, unfortunately, we couldn't get access to Steve. And then if you recall the Daniel Lebetsky founder, okay. who if people don't know, you know, his family survived the Holocaust and came over and, um, you know, his founding of Kind Bar, that was not his first endeavor. And he was literally almost going door to door to uh, delis and grocery stores in New York, trying to get his previous company off the ground and, and did eventually manage it. But was living off of, you know, poverty rations for a long time and um, just another really mission-driven leader. And I, then I think, um, you know, the, the humility of Captain Tammy Jo Schultz, who, if people don't know, she should have a movie about her. It's basically the Sully story, but instead of landing on the Hudson, she landed um, the stricken Southwest Airlines flight where an engine blew out and unfortunately sucked that lady partway out. And even though fellow passengers pulled her back in, she she died in flight and then the cabin was partially depressurized. So um, Tammy Joe managed to get this, this plane back on the ground with no further loss of life, despite, you know, being down an engine and having a depressurized cabin. So it's pretty amazing and, and um, astonishing really that there isn't a, a TV show or isn't a movie about her. So I think with her though, it wasn't even that story. It was the, the humility that she and also her husband, they were both Southwest pilots until they both retired, I think last year. She would go back in and, and make sure all the seat belts were unclicked, help the crew pick up trash. And this was part of her way of showing like, hey, I'm not above you guys. I'm just amongst you. And also showing some of the rookies like this is the way that of servant leadership. And so just the servant leadership. And again, going back to Lebetsky, um, it's not just the millions of dollars that, or, or the number of charitable initiatives that he's started up since uh, beginning Kind Bar. And most people just know him as a guest judge on Shark Tank. But just everything that, that Kind does is, is mission driven. And so, yeah, just that combination of, of kind of purpose or mission driven entrepreneurship and then also servant leadership. Yeah, those kind bars are pretty good. So uh, maybe they could send us a few over, you know? <laughs> they really should. They really should. <laughs> Most definitely. Um, so, I mean, you co-authored Unplugged with Dr. Andy. Are there any yeah, guidelines? And Brian McKenzie, yeah. And Brian McKenzie. Mm -hmm. Are there any guidelines you use in your own life to limit tech? Oh, yeah. A, a lot of the time, I don't even know where my cell phone is. And I really want one of those punked 
dumb phones, <laughs> P-U-N-K-T, you know. Um, okay. It's, frankly, I'm only on the socials to, to you know, give whatever backup I can to my co-authors and co-hosts. Um, and it's not a lot and, and it feels a lot of times inauthentic, but yeah, I have connected with some, some great people, you know, Tim, Tim D. Francesco and I just had Henry Barrera, who, if you haven't had him on from, he's the performance director for Liberty U men's basketball and, um, won the pistol Pete Maravich award for the best point guard in the country, despite being undersized back in the day. And, uh, has a really um, amazing personal story of overcoming long odds. And, uh, you know, Henry and I got connected while Fergus Connolly and I were, were working on Game Changer. But yeah, I think going back to Unplugged, I think um, I don't use any any wearables. I think that the body has an amazing ability to self-calibrate. And Andy may have mentioned a study they did with you where they had people come in, in the performance lab um, that he runs out there in California and run, I think like 70 to 80% effort of their best 5k time mm-hmm. while measuring, you know, keeping an eye on the clock. And then a few days later, enough time for them to fully recover. He had them in come and do it again and just say, okay, again, seven to eight on the RPE um, scale um, rate of perceived exertion. And they were able to get within a second or two of that time just by being told that with no, not even a stopwatch. They didn't have an eye on the clock. So we have this ability to self-monitor and self-calibrate. And yet sometimes we outsource all our decision-making to a Whoop Band or an Aura Ring or a Garmin Watch. And not that any of those companies are bad per se, that you know they can provide useful insights and whatever motivates someone to get moving and keep moving um, is great. But I think if, if it becomes the be-all, end-all or, or kind of the hashtag Strava fail, like if your Strava app fails to record your run, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Your body knows <laughs> it happened. You make the adaptation, assuming you're recovering well. And I think that, um, you know, also having learned under Brett Jones and um, Craig Marker and Powell at Strong First, wow. kind of the way of the kettlebell. Um, you I'm don't a bit, need... Everybody who follows me on social knows I'm a big user of the yeah. kettlebell. I'm a yeah, big Yeah, I mean, you, you don't need a lot. even a ton of equipment in your home gym. I mean, if you have a kettlebell to warm up with, and then maybe you need a lighter weight for pressing overhead than you'd be doing two-handed swings with. But you can do an awful lot if you just have two or three kettlebells. I'd say Pavel's right on. If you just did Turkish get-ups and swings and maybe carries, that's going to give you 90% of what you need, particularly when it comes to practical stuff, like your neighbor calls you and says, hey, bud, I'm getting a new couch delivered tomorrow morning. Could you come over for a few minutes and help me get it off the truck and in my living room? You want to be that guy in your neighborhood. And, you know, as, as Dan John says, um, pick up weight, put weight overhead, carry weight. Like that's a pretty good low tech philosophy. Yeah. What have you learned about strength from Pavel? Cause he's such an interesting character. Yeah. I mean, Pavel actually goes way deeper into the research than people give him credit for. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, over the years, Craig Marker and, and Brett Jones have been at his side through all of that. And they have a lot of, really smart guys across Europe, in Australia, um, all over the place that kind of dabble in the research quite a bit. But um, yeah, I think that uh, a combination of just Dan, John and and Pavel, I mean, they even have a book together, right? And and just kind of simple, basic strength training. If you you were just to buy two books on strength training, buy Simple and Sinister, the second revised edition, updated edition, and buy the book that Dan, John and, and Pavel wrote together. And I think that would 
I think and maybe if you're going to do a third thing, pay attention to what Andy Galpin says on his YouTube channel, because he's uh, he's doing the research in the, in the lab and taking those studies and kind of making them more practical for, for folks like you and I. Most definitely. Staying on leadership, uh, what was the common characteristics when it comes to great leaders and the leaders that you studied or the leaders that you interviewed? Yeah, I mean, as as Henry Barrera told Tim and I in that podcast episode, this philosophy of keep knocking, just or or you know the kind of chop wood carry water. So if if you have a, a setback, what do you do the next day? Will you chop wood and carry water? What about if you have a win? The same thing. Um, so just staying consistent, and I think like the for, throughout all their stories, the pursuit of mastery and of being better and of being a better servant leader never ends. Right? They they are always curious to learn from people in other disciplines. Um, going back to Steve Kerr, you know, the core, the core four values um, that that he puts in into place, you know, joy, mindfulness, competitiveness, and I'm forgetting the third one, like togetherness, maybe at the Warriors. That came from a different sport. It came from Coach Pete Carroll at the Seahawks. And so when Steve Kerr was kind of um seeking out leaders, he didn't just look within basketball to say a Jeff Van Gundy, but he went and embedded with Coach Carroll um, at the Seahawks for a week, and a couple of times Carroll actually told him, "Well, come in the huddle, like listen, listen to what you know Russell Wilson and others are saying, and you speak up if you're called upon." And and so I think that um, just being willing to lateralize and seek out uh, expertise and and be humble about what you don't know, don't 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 do what Guy Kawasaki, um, formerly of Apple and now has a great podcast, uh, says that. B players hire C players who hire D players, right? To stroke their ego. They want yes men and yes women around them. Don't do that. Like hire people who are better than you in a lot of areas and who compliment you and, and then entrust them with the responsibility where you're not just delegating all the crap you don't want to do, but recognize that, hey, they're the expert in finance or in raising capital or whatever, and I'm not. And then default to them as the expert and be humble enough to learn from them. Yeah, there was a whole chapter on stoicism. As I said, I've read Marcus Aurelius's book, Meditations. Uh, I've read books on stoicism in general. What do you think we can learn from the Stoics when it comes to leadership and even outside of leadership? Yeah, I just read, I think it was a quote from Epictetus about, you know, it was already talking about anxiety and stress, which a lot of us have, you know, dealing with and a lot of people it's been amplified by being locked in your home basically for two years plus um, and kids not being able to go to school and this kind of thing. But he's essentially saying like, don't die twice, right? Like you, it's almost like the biblical concept of tomorrow has enough, let tomorrow worry about itself, right? It has enough trouble of its own. And so it's a, both a quote of, of not getting overly anxious about what's to come, particularly the uncontrollable elements of it, but also just presentness. And then I think, um, Marcus Aurelius was bookended by a couple of really bad Roman emperors who who wanted to plunder and wanted to position themselves in an almost deity-like status, whereas he dressed in pretty simple clothes. He uh, he paid yep. attention to the small details around him. And so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to take there. That's a that's a great book. And I think, Ryan, you know, we, we, we uh, interviewed Donald Robertson, who's, who's a great scholar. So Don has some great books. I mean, Ryan Holiday's done a fantastic job of bringing Stoic principles to a mainstream audience. So kudos to him as well. And um, yeah, I think just really the, when we think about 
being stoic, we think about old school, what, what used to be called, you know, mental toughness or is now called mental resilience, where you right. just grit your teeth and get through any obstacle and never complain. And it's like, well, it can be partly that, but it's also just trying to find balance in the work, almost like a Mr. Miyagi type concept, right? Find balance. Right, right. It's it's incredible. Um, I've actually, yeah, I've read uh, Obstacles the Way by Ryan Holiday. I guess I'm that mainstream audience you were talking about. Hey, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> never never have a book on your bookshelf that you think will make you look smart if uh, friends or neighbors come into your uh, your home library or home office or whatever it is. If, if you don't enjoy every book there, then you should be in this constant read and donate cycle. Most definitely. Um, I've read Steve Kotler's books. I've heard you talk about Flow State. Yeah. Past. I mean, so outside of the obvious great diet, getting great sleep, what is it that you believe causes to get into a great flow state? Because obviously we all want more of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's peak experience. And I, I was lucky enough that um, my, my friend Aaron Alexander was uh, was kind of teaching a couple of sessions for, for Stephen and Jamie. So I got to go up and spend some time with them here in Colorado a couple of summers ago, which was really cool. And um, we, we, we did interview Stephen um, as him and Brian McKenzie, good friends for Unplugged. And I think really he talks about the importance of being in nature because there's a lot of flow triggers in there. There's unpredictability, there's novelty. And as long as you don't bring your bloody phone and walk around like a zombie and you actually pay attention to what's going on, it's a really focused experience. So that's why in The Rise of Superman, which is one of my favorite books, um, Kotler profiles, you know, big wave surfers and base jumpers and these things. And it's not because they're gnarly or hardcore, even though they are. It's because in high consequence environments, whether you're a Led Hamilton, um, you're a, uh, an Alex Honnold, um, or even someone ropes like Tommy Coldwell, you have to be fully present because if you're not... There are consequences. And we see this in the number of traffic accidents caused by or exacerbated by people not paying attention and particularly looking down at their phones of the number of idiots you see messing around with their phone in the car. It's the exact opposite. And so I think another one that that speaks to is eliminate distraction. Um, there have been studies done that show even if your phone is in the same room as you, that the expectation of being interrupted is enough to throw you off your game. And there's also um, a transition cost between activities. So I think doing the kind of deep work that Cal Newport talks about in the book of that name, Deep Work, um, I really learned about time blocking in that, unitasking, and blocking like tasks. So Cal only checks email, I think, twice a day. He's He doesn't check it after 7 p.m. He isn't on social media um, and he said in an interview recently, that's because I'm a deep flow, you know, I'm a flow state zealot, really. I'm a deep work zealot. Um, and he's talking about maybe doing a book, not just on deep work, but deep life. So I think anytime you can eliminate distraction, you can get your daily nature fix fully focused, and you can create conditions where you can focus fully on one task, um, then, then you're setting yourself up for success. What's a great way for somebody who struggles to stay away from their phone? I mean, I, for Turn myself, it off, put it out of the room, or give it to your kids to hide it somewhere and hope to goodness they remember where it is. <laughs> now, most likely, because I set some guidelines for myself. I don't touch it for the first hour, and it's actually a lot longer than the first hour. You know, when I'm going from point A to point B, I try not to look at it. And it's like absolutely need GPS. So yeah. there's well, yeah, a lot. And that's it. I mean, 
the only yeah. thing that's holding me back from getting that punked phone is I'm very directionally challenged as it is, um, even before, you know, tech kind of took over our brains in that way. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some, ways like that, the, there's some ways that just tech greatly benefits us. We, yeah, just, don't wanna, it, we just don't want to be addicted to tech. That's and the it's thing. An MP, it's basically a wayfinder and an MP3 player for me, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. That's essentially what it is. And then a way for me to call my, my family back in England because – it's more convenient to do that by cell than by landline, I guess. But yeah, I mean, literally separate yourself from it physically, I think is the best way. Put it in a drawer and lock the drawer, stuff it in your backpack, put two heavy books on it and do not get remove those books, let alone the phone. Because I think it, it has to be like the, this notion that, oh, we've adapted to be able to multitask. Get Kotler or Wheel on and ask him if that's even possible. And they're going to say that's just BS. Yeah, I think especially like, if you're spending time with your family, you need time where everybody's off the phone. That's just my personal opinion. Just oh, hanging I mean, out. My yeah. son turns 15 on Saturday and he does not have a phone and nor will he. I have a 12 year old son. He will not have a phone and nor will he. There is literally um, no use case. Now, if you have um, a kid who is in, you know, after school activities and they may need to call you and say, oh, coach put up a notice on the gym. Practice is canceled the next two days. They had a water main burst. Um, not sure if you got his message, but I need you to pick me up now. Okay, well, there is such a thing as a dumb phone or, you know, get the light phone, get the punk phone. Get the, They reissued the old Nokia brick phone a couple of years ago to great success for a reason. Um, this whole notion of, oh, they're going to feel left out. They're going to be bullied by their peers if they don't have a smartphone. That, that just doesn't hold water. You were meant to be the adult in the room as a parent, so be the adult in the room. And there is no if, buts, or maybes about that. This is a device. The device itself is designed for addiction, and supercomputer-driven algorithms are far more powerful than a human single brain. So unless you have Jocko Willink-type self-discipline, you've got to set exactly what you said, some really hard limits, because these squishy boundaries we put in play are evidently not working. I mean, if you look at Adam Alter's book, Irresistible, which we quote in Unplugged, he says that the average, um, I think it was an average American, it's probably all of the world now, touches or looks at their phone every six minutes. And the only word for that is addiction. It's so fascinating. One way we do want people to enjoy tech is to listen to the Basketball Strong podcast. So I will ask you this. What does basketball strong mean to you? And oh, tell me that's dirty. That's what Tim asks everybody. <laughs> and tell me more about the podcast before we get out of here. Yeah. So um, Tim and I have been, I've been ghostwriting for him for Train Heroic for a long time. Um, we got connected through Kelly Starrett, who I wrote, wrote Waterman 2.0 for. Phil, Phil. But Phil, in the music game, we're not supposed to tell people that we're going to. Is, is that okay when it's not? Yeah, a... it's all right. It's okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and then I started helping him with his blog a bit. And then I had started helping out Momentus, who's a longtime client of mine, the supplement company out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, with their podcast. And, you know, at that point, Tim was like, man, I, he, he had a podcast with his brother back in the day. Didn't, you know, his brother decided to go back to med school. It didn't run very long. And then it was like, okay, well, what if we put our heads together and, and did, did basketball strong together? And so, uh, yeah, Tim with, you know, being in the Lakers, he was with the, uh, the Bakersfield jam in the D league. Um, and then got a call from Gary Vitti, you know, the longtime Lakers trainer who was there from the glory days of Kareem and magic, with the Showtime Lakers all the way through, 
Shaq and Kobe, um, Powell and Kobe called him and said, Hey, you know, I want to bring in an AT to basically run my weight room. Do you want to come over? And so he was there for Kobe's last four years in the league and six and a half years. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the amount, amount of contacts he has, Mitch Kupchak, Judd Boosler, all these different guys. And a lot of people, a lot of stories that people won't have heard or won't have heard the name, like Henry Barrera is a good starting point. The, uh, men's basketball performance director at Liberty U just has an amazing personal story um, that'll that'll shock you to your core if you have a heart anywhere beating in your chest. So really, we just want to tell the stories behind the stories because, I mean, Zach Lowe's done a great job and Kurt Goldsbury and others with more technical or, you know, X's and O's type podcasts. Um, there are some like Byron Scott's that are amazing for Lakers fans, you know, and when when your first three guests in Byron's case are basically uh i think it was kareem magic and maybe michael thompson you're you're doing pretty well but uh yeah really we just want to touch the stories behind the story so in terms of your your other question what does it mean to be basketball strong i think it um it's just about finding something that you can be passionate about and finding ways that you can serve others through the game or whatever it is you do. So there's always going to be gunners, right? Or chuckers, people that just want to shoot, 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 high volume shooters. And so maybe you decide I'm going to be the next Dennis Rodman. Like I'm going to rebound. And why is that? It's not just so I can say, Oh, I'm averaging 12, you know, RPG a game or whatever. That's going to get your team a lot of extra possessions. And it's going to deny that for your opponent. Maybe you just set some really hard, dare I say, dirty screens. Maybe you, you're the dog on the court that locks down the opposing best player every single night. And we recently talked to Larry Nance Jr. Um, and and he, he was told by Byron Scott while he was with the Lakers, the only way you play every night is if you lock your guy down and you hustle on every single possession. You do that, you're going to get minutes. And now he's obviously having great success with the Trailblazers since the time yeah. of the Lakers. So just know your, know yourself, find your role. And similar to what we we kind of preach in, in the leader's mind, find out how you can best serve your coaches and teammates, or if you're not in the game, your colleagues or your family or whatever it is, and then just continue to grow in that to the best of your ability. Okay, two quick questions before we get out of here, because I wanted to ask you this. What does a morning routine look like for you? And what has your current workouts look like? And how often do you change your workouts? Yeah, for sure. So I am not a morning person. Tim does <laughs> not schedule early interviews, but works out well. He is, but um, but Jim Maframo, my co-author, is not either. So it's okay. kind of like the old uh Kramerica episode of Seinfeld where uh I think Kramer tells his intern no meetings before noon, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not that bad, but yeah, morning's the best for me to do, to set up interviews, to build clients, to send out interview requests, take care of, I just block admin, um, okay. usually make coffee for the family, um, drink a smoothie, and then just, yeah, roll into an admin block. And then it's a lot of interviewing after that, some big writing blocks when I can get them. And um, yeah, really just a lot of calendar blocking from there. So um in terms of workouts, it's the dad workout these days. It's the, which again, simple and sinister is great for that. Um, yeah. So it, it's often just pick two exercises, usually kettlebell based. So, you know, wh whether it's swings and get ups or um, last night, I just did five sets of 10 reps um, with a 32 kg dump, uh, kettlebell, sorry, goblet squats. 
And then I just, uh, what, did I, what was I using for the press? It's just a 53 pounder for the press is five sets of five super setted. Um, we had a late interview and I was like, I got to move. I've just been standing in one place all day. Um, and yeah, so I go five, six, sometimes seven days a week. Cause that's the thing Pavel says about training in Russia that they train with kettlebells. It's a minimum effective dose every day. So yeah. and as, as Brett Jones has said a lot on the strong first forum, you should check out a lot of his articles are really great. He talks about waviness, which is basically a way of saying you can do the same thing every day. So just don't do the same thing every day. So you could, again, you could just do swings and get ups, but maybe one day you have a heavier day where you're, you know, you're busting out the beast of 48 kg or, you know, the 40 or whatever, and you're doing two handed swings, you're going a bit lower on the total volume. Mm -hmm. um, and your get ups, maybe you're going a bit lighter because of those heavier swings. And then the next day, maybe you're going a bit heavier on the get ups, but you're going lighter and you're going single hand on your swings. Well, you could do that. And as long as you're varying the density, the intensity, the volume, you know, the kind of concepts Fergus talks about in Game Changer, you can wave that. So I think just picking a few, and again, it goes back to Dan John's thing. Like today, all I'm going to do is some kettlebell deadlifts and I'm going to do four sets of carries. So if you just mm. follow what Dan John says, um, look, look up Dan John University on any social platform or his YouTube channel. And, and you just did three things. You pick up weight, you put weight overhead and you carry weight. You'll be pretty much sound, especially when you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s and maintaining and staying injury free are really the, the and staying consistent are really the three goals at this point. Phil, phenomenal insight. Um, great book. I read it in its entirety. I really enjoyed it. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, talking about the book, talking basketball, talking stoicism, talking leadership, man. We talked about it all in the short amount of time, you know? Yeah, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on our social media and everywhere Ugh, else? I wish the answer was nowhere. The greatest answer to the where you can, where can we find you? Where can people find you? Tim Ferriss asked Laird Hamilton, the surfer, and uh, he said in the Pacific Ocean. So I, I wish that was the answer. But uh, yeah, I guess um, ugh, even though I hate to say it, on, on Instagram, at Phil White Books. Um, and then, yeah, just more so if you want to go in depth check out the basketball strong podcast um tim d francesco i'm he's just carrying me i'm just there for the ride um <laughs> and then jim and i have a, a, a podcast which from like mid-march on you'll be able to find at championconversationspodcast.com or just search champion conversations podcast so that's really going to be mindset mental health the mental game Nice. Phil, you're always welcome back on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time and talk soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Been a real pleasure. Great questions. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, Combo Nation. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Combo's Court. Big shouts to Phil for joining in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that. Subscribe button. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-P-O. -E Be on the lookout for episode 339. Combo out.